So you may not have caught this little detail, but the disciples returned home and Mary stayed, it said. The disciples returned home, but Mary stayed. It's little details like that that sometimes stick with me, bother me, won't let me go. I thought about that line a lot this week. I was so struck by it. I thought about it as I listened to the testimony of Darnella Frazier, the then 17-year-old high school student who stayed outside of Cup Foods convenience store on May 25th of last year. She stayed and she used her phone to record Derek Chauvin's actions. She and her nine-year-old cousin stayed as advocates for George Floyd and now they're serving as witnesses in the trial of the former police officer who killed him. Many walked on by that day, but they stayed. I thought about all the staying that we have each had to do this past year, staying away from one another, staying home, staying in the crucible of uncertainty and not knowing. I thought about a dear, dear friend of mine who She stayed in a relationship she would have ended years before, but she wanted to get their son out of high school and into college, and so she stayed. And there was no perfect, easy answer there. She had to decide that for herself and her son, and she stayed, knowing he wouldn't have made it to college if she hadn't. The disciples, they returned home, but Mary stayed. I thought about how we like to talk about ourselves as a community that is constantly deconstructing this faith that we inherited and reconstructing it. And many of us have chosen in some way to stay connected to this person, Jesus, in some way. In some way, we are figuring out a way to stay. John's account tells us that early in the morning, after what I imagine are two very troubled sleepless nights, Mary goes to Jesus' tomb. John tells us it's situated in a garden for some reason. Nobody else tells us that, but John does, perhaps to draw our minds to that first garden in Genesis 1, that creation story from which life first burst out into the cosmos. John doesn't tell us why Mary went there. The other Gospels say that she and others were taking spices to anoint the body, but John's account tells it differently. We just know she goes. Perhaps she's going to offer commitment and devotion to a dead revolutionary. Maybe she's going to keep vigil, to stand watch to place her hand on the massive cold stone that is now forever separating her from her beloved teacher and friend. Maybe she goes early like she did. She's she's just trying to catch the guards in between the shift change when maybe they're asleep or they're not there and she can get a few harassment-free moments with the dead. But what we do know is that when she gets there, The stone has been moved, and she is distraught 
because this place that was supposed to become sacred to her has now become desecrated, desecrated. Maybe she thinks at that moment that Jesus was at least partially right. The thief does come to steal, kill, and destroy. So she runs back to the community and she tells them and two of them come running back with her, Peter, the betrayer, and John, the beloved. Already an early sign that there is room in the divine community for both. John outruns Peter, we're told, but waits to allow Peter to look inside first. Age before beauty, the last will be first. We don't know. Inside the tomb, they look around, but they don't really take note of the rolled up secondhand grave clothes. They shuffle back home, now doubly defeated. But Mary stayed. By this point, three days later, people had probably begun to hint to her that it might be time to move on. Maybe they weren't aware of the words of the poet Natasha Trethaway, who says that some of us don't bury bodies in the ground. We bury bodies in our chest, and we carry them on our backs. And that seems to be the case with Mary, because four times it says that she is weeping and overcome with tears. She is the embodiment of those Robert Frost lines when he's describing death and the death that winter brings, and he says, the dead leaves lie huddled and still, no longer blown hither and thither. The last lone aster is gone, the flowers of the witch hazel wither, the heart is still aching to seek, but the feet question whither. Ah, when to the heart of one what is it, was it ever less than a treason to go with the drift of things, to yield with a grace, to reason, to bow and accept the end of a love or a season. It fills, he says, like treason to abandon the dead. So Mary stays, convinced that there are only two possible realities in the world now. Either uh, Both are devastating. Either Jesus is dead inside a tomb or Jesus is dead outside of a tomb. But either way, Jesus is dead. She can conceive no other possible options, revealing that her own mind, her own spirit, her own hope, her own imagination, all themselves now bear the marks of crucifixion too. She is desperate, distraught, and alone. The two disciples she fetched are of no help. The next time we see them, they'll be locked away, huddled, hiding in a dark room. She then next encounters two rather unempathetic angels who are of no help to her at all. Normally in the scriptures, it only takes one angel for people to fall down dead. But Mary here shrugs off two of them. Meh. And then she encounters a third party, one whom she supposes is a gardener, a caretaker, a servant to those entombed. She doesn't know it, but she's right in that way. So she gets in his face and she demands that he lead her to Jesus so she can single-handedly buddy carry dead Jesus over her shoulder only to God knows where. I, I don't think she's even thought that far ahead yet, but she's going to have her Forrest Gump moment of carrying an entire platoon out. It doesn't matter, though, 
She is a woman alive with pain and grief and anger and distrust and distrust. And she has had enough. And by the way, I expect no less from any of you when you come to visit my grave one day. Thank you, Jordan. And then, in the midst of her escalating fervor, the intimate pre uh, presence of the wounded Christ confronts her with this kind of Moana-esque, I know your name moment. You know what I'm talking about, any Moana? Yeah, I cry every stinking time I see that part of the show at the end of Moana. She confronts Taka, the destructive lava demon, with a divinely relational boldness that overturns all conventional wisdom, tools, and tactics. And likewise, Jesus, standing outside of his own tomb, speaks into the darkness of Mary's tomb, resurrecting her heart, her mind, her hopes, her future, with a single word, her name. I know your name. There is something healing and resurrecting about being known, truly known. It has been for me. It has been, I know, for many of you. Sigmund Freud, using his 1917 essay on mourning and melancholia, he would dismiss all of this. He would say, oh, Mary, if I had a Freud voice, I would do the Freud voice, but Mary is having a hallucinatory, wishful psychosis. That's what's happening here, and that she is like one of those 50% of people who will see the ghost of their loved one after they die, post-mortem. But something is radically different here, Freud. This doesn't fit with your theory not least of which is that she doesn't recognize Jesus at first. In fact, in a turn of events, it is she that needs to be resurrected. This is more than a wishful psychosis because Mary is transformed by this encounter. Mary is resurrected. In a complete reversal, the one who is thought to be dead is actually contagiously alive. Is it too soon to use the contagion metaphor? <laughs> yeah, Jordan. The disciples returned home, but Mary stayed. And her testimony is transformed from the thief has come to still kill and destroy to I have seen the Lord of abundant life. Mary stayed and she became the first evangelist. Mary is commissioned by Jesus and sent as the apostle to the apostles. Mary stayed and something clicks, something changes, and she is transformed from living in a Good Friday world where the only certainty is that the powers that be will destroy you if you upset the status quo domination system. And now she is an Easter person living in a new reality where the given, the inevitability, the certainty is resurrection. Mary stayed and became the matron saint of those who stay until they encounter the one who is contagiously alive. We call these people Easter people. These are the ferociously staying until they break through people. These are the rejecting false limitations people. These are the sticking with it people. These are the I will sit with the crucified until resurrection happens people. 
These are the, I need more than discarded grave clothes. I need to encounter the living Jesus here and now people. And we are those people. We live that legacy and carry forward Mary's way of staying until resurrection happens. As Easter people, we stay not with the oppressors, but with the oppressed until they can hear Jesus speak their name again. As Easter people, we reject false limitations and false dichotomies, like when we are told that we can only have safe communities if we have authoritarian policing. As Easter people, we refuse to leave unmasked and unchallenged the white and male supremacist systems of our society. As Easter people, we reject that we have to bomb other countries into democracy in order to keep our own country safe. As Easter people, we don't cling to the Jesus we once thought we knew, idolatrously holding him back from the violent world that needs him. But instead, we let him go just as he commanded Mary, don't hold on to me. Let me go so that she can carry his resurrection forward. Paul Tillich called this allowing ourselves to experience God above God. God above God, the God who emerges, emerges once the world destroys what we thought we knew of God, but we stay and we stick with it, and then all of a sudden, God is still there in this new way that we never knew or understood. Everything that we thought we knew of God has been destroyed, and yet here God is. We call this deconstructing and reconstructing our faith, an activity that is absolutely necessary if we are going to follow the resurrected Jesus. The Jesus you knew and followed at 20 years old is not the one you will follow at 30 years old or 50 years old or 80 years old. And you have to stay with Mary until you can hear the risen Christ speak your name again and anew. This has been my personal experience. As Easter people, we know we are not caught in a perpetual downward spiral of death destruction, darkness, and chaos, but we are caught instead in God's perpetual upward spiral of resurrecting bodies, hearts, minds, systems, and structures, and we join in that work. As Easter people, we are not defined by the silly politicized categories of right versus left, of pro-choice versus pro-life, and instead say, no, we are pro-resurrection. As Easter people, we are pro-resurrection wherever and whenever and with whomever we find it. As Easter people, we never settle for that silly bureaucratic answer we get when people say, oh, we don't have a process for that. Sorry. No, no. We are going to work together to resurrect your entombed processes like the processes that we have in education, like those that create food insecurity, like those that create extreme wealth inequality, like those that threaten voting rights for everyone. This is very appropriate to today here in the South. Like those that keep adequate health care from the uninsured. George Brown, I know you're working on this. Keep doing that resurrection work, my brother. We oppose any system that creates insiders and outsiders, and we say this system needs to be resurrected. As Easter people, we build communities of resurrection in our homes, in our workplaces, in our cities and towns, in horse corrals. 
<laughs> Wherever we gather, we build communities of resurrection. As Easter people, we notice those in our midst who simply need to hear the good news that Jesus speaks their name to, calling them into resurrected life here and now. We get to experience that. We get to be a part of that. And I'm grateful to do that work alongside all of you in all the amazing, creative, divine ways that you do that. May God ever give us God's grace as we do that. May we always be continually surprised by how God is resurrecting us and calling us to do that with others in this world. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Amen.